Welcome to the Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. One group of psychiatric conditions are known as the personality disorders. One such personality disorder is the narcissistic personality. It is complicated and can be a difficult entity to understand and work with. But we are learning more about it, and as we do so, so too will we be better able to therapeutically intervene. Joining us today is Elsa Ronningstam, who is an associate clinical professor at Harvard Medical School and also a psychologist at McLean Hospital. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. There is such a range of psychological and behavioral presentations, sometimes seemingly contradictory, associated with narcissism. Yet it is often said that people with a narcissistic personality disorder basically lack empathy and concern with others. Is, is that a sufficient definition or is it too simplistic? Yeah, it is uh, too simplistic, both in with regards to their external behavior and their presentation, and especially internal experiences of uh, themselves. So what would be a good definition of a narcissistic personality disorder? Well, the general definition in the DSM-4 is that it's a pervasive pattern of grandiosity and need for admiration and lack of empathy. A clinical addition to that is consists of, I would say, three or four different areas. First of all, it's self-esteem regulation. It's, they have a fluctuating self-esteem that range from grandiosity and assertiveness to insecurity and inferiority. They are very reactive to threats and challenges as well as to support of the self-esteem. And they are very dependent upon that for, for functioning. Interpersonally, what is striking is their self-serving and self-enhancing uh, behavior that they are entitled, sometimes they are emotionally or socially exploitive, they are attention seeking, admiration seeking, both full. Those are maybe the most striking, provocative signs of narcissistic personality functioning, something that has come to identify, define the, the disorder, maybe too much, I would say, because the internal side, we have a totally different world of much more anxiety, self-criticism, shame, insecurity, self-doubt, that rate. All these symptoms, a lot of, for a lot of psychiatric disorders, it tends to change as people mature, as they get older. Is there a sense that the intensity of a narcissistic personality, does it modify, soften, worsen as a person gets older? Do we have any data to that? Yeah, we have some actually quite inconsistent. Why there are changes in narcissistic personality over time is considered one of the the least stable personality disorders. We also have data that narcissistic personality disorder can develop later in life, middle age or, um, or aging, facing retirement. It is a personality disorder that is quite sensitive to life circumstances and life transitions, especially those transitions that can be challenging for self-esteem. And so the challenge of self-esteem would also suggest, because one also sees a lot when reading about narcissism, a sensitivity to criticism, a vulnerability yes. to criticism. Yes, that, that, that is very, very central. The reactions can be 
both the internal and external. The differentiate between those narcissistic personalities are considered more covert or shy or inhibited, but with a very, very intense internal reactive life. And those who are more overt, uh, external, and uh, show more of their reactions, especially anger and uh, control and dominance. That's such an interesting thing because if one knows a narcissist, or a multiple, or shall we say several narcissists, some of them are so distant and shy, some are charming, some are grandiose, some are domineering, yeah. some make you feel nervous. Yes. It's such a different presentation. Yes, it, it is. And that's why there is a problem identifying narcissistic personalities or, only, or so much on, on the external traits, which unfortunately has been done over the years. We need to pay much more attention to the internal world and experiences of, of um, these patients. Okay, going back for a second, how prevalent is the disorder? Well, there, it's a lifelong prevalence of about 6%. That's uh, one very significant study. The, otherwise, prevalence varies in, from study to study. In general population studies, it has been estimated up to 5%, ranging from 0 to 5%. In the clinical population, it's 1 to 17%. And in outpatient private practice, it's up to 20%. So in certain professional settings, like the military or medical school, it has prevalence has also been found to be up to 20%. 20% of the military and 20% of the people in medical school with this, this disorder, it seems like a lot. It's, it's disproportionate to the general prevalence in the society. That's a lot of people. Yes, but we have to keep in mind that narcissistic personality disorder is found among higher functioning people as opposite to most other personality disorders that have more of a sort of a functionally disabling effect on people. You know, that, that brings up a point in my mind, just just jumped into my mind. I don't think we use the diagnosis of narcissism very much. At least I don't recall seeing it in, in consultations and so on. Perhaps it's that these people don't come into therapy is why we don't see the diagnosis. Or maybe we're just not aggressively diagnosing it properly. Well, there are several reasons for that. First of all, when narcissistic people seek psychiatric treatment, it's usually because of an onset of an axis bomb disorder. Bipolar disorder, major depression, eating disorder, substance use disorder that takes over their functioning. So, or because of ultimatums from employers, spouse, other life conditions. So that's one reason. The second thing is that they can be found in private practice psychotherapy or family or couples therapy focused private practice, more so than in the general psychiatric treatment. Uh, so that, those are two reasons. We have also found that clinicians, psychotherapists, more often use the diagnosis than general psychiatric. I happen to agree with you, and I think that the general psychiatric community may even actually shy away from using that as a diagnosis. Yeah, it, 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 it is a very it's a complicated diagnosis. It's not guiding, for, neither for 
the patient nor for the clinician. Uh, patients re have negative reactions to receiving it. It's let's say more as an accusation than as an informative um, diagnosis. This is something that we've been struggling with when it comes to borderline personality diagnosis too. It it has gradually become much much more informative both for the patient and for the clinician. They become more guiding and connected to treatment plan and treatment modalities and ways of dealing with various symptoms. And hopefully this will happen gradually with the narcissistic personality disorder too. Where does it come from? Do we have any sense of the etiology of a narcissistic personality disorder? There are uh, genetic heritability studies have estimated that about 40 to 70 percent is heritability. And it's not so that people are born with narcissism or narcissistic personality disorder, but that they can be born with various levels of hypersensitivity, proneness to aggression, frustration tolerance, affect regulation. And then the early interaction between child and caregiver play a very important role in stimulating so-called proneness to excitement versus ability for inhibition. Um, then the next step has to do with developmental coping and parenting. And there are a few significant things that have that play a, a role for developing narcissistic personality disorder. One has to do with assigned roles, uh, that a child become, let's say, a parent for the parent mm -hmm. or a control or, or regulate the parent's self-esteem or the parent's mood or the parent's gratification. There are theories about over-gratification of children, the, the idealized or the so-called spoiled child. It's important to see that it's not the spoiling in itself, but it is the duality in internal self-experience that this parenting style fosters, namely that you are good or seen as valuable for certain things, but not for other things. You're not accepted as you are. Interesting. And that's the major problem, that it, it, it consists, it creates an inner sense of that part of me is okay, valued self-esteem, and other parts are not okay. For instance, in divorces, they take on spouse role or they take on a support of the parents. That creates a certain sensitivity or vulnerability later in life. So a child who experiences this or develops into a narcissist actually has an inner self of great confusion and fragility. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Sometimes they can, sometimes they are, are very capable or seen in a very, very positive light by others, and other, other times they are not. Which could clearly explain why there is such an overreaction to belittlement or criticism mm. or self-image, self-esteem issues. Yes, yes. Hmm, interesting. We've often heard in more extreme cases that there is a malignant form of narcissism and a non-malignant form of narcissism. Yeah. The, the terms sound horrible, but could you, could you delineate a little bit about what those suggest? Malignant narcissist is a concept that was introduced by Dr. Kornberg, and 
it focuses on the extreme aggression and severe level of personality functioning that can be found in narcissistic patients. We have to, to be clear that about that that is a subgroup of narcissistic personality disorder. Those who are um, much more prone to, say, this psychopathic violent behavior than have more severe superego problems than the regular narcissistic patient. Which suggests then that most people who are narcissists, though they may be somewhat difficult because they're domineering or intrusive, but they're not dangerous. No, and they don't have this self-justified sadistic cruelty or or self-destructiveness that you find in malignant narcissists. They also usually don't have the, the a chronic preoccupation with suicide or sort of incorporate suicidality in their system in, in the way that malignant narcissists. One of the concepts that keeps coming up when one is discussing and studying narcissism is the notion of empathy. It has been suggested that they have problems with empathy processing or that this may be a flaw of empathy in some manner. I'd like your thoughts on that, please. Yes, it's not so that narcissistic personalities lack empathy. There is, it's a very, very rare occasion, even in psychiatric disorders, where there is a total lack of empathy. Narcissistic people have a fluctuating variable capacity for empathic functioning. Usually, studies have shown that they have intact cognitive empathy but they have fluctuating or impaired emotional empathy. And that means that they are fully capable of seeing and understanding what is going on in, in other people. But they have clear emotional deficit in their ability. There's almost a quality that then most narcissists suffer in silence. Um, well, you can say, you can formulate it in that way. Some have more of a, should we call it, lack of, of motivation or curiosity. They are, are very self-centered. Others are very uh, dependent upon how they themselves feel in certain situations. Any type of threat to their own self-esteem uh, inhibits uh, empathic functioning, emotional fluctuations from envy or shame or anger or anxiety can certainly inhibit their empathy. You said a very interesting thing a few moments ago in talking about the borderline, and I know this is a trend in the field, but again, if I can just put in from my own training, my own years of doing this, there was always a hesitancy to give someone the diagnosis of a narcissistic personality disorder. It was almost like we were giving them um, a black mark and that really was not helpful. And it seems that now when we can tell people who acknowledge that they're having this type of suffering, that they suffer from this condition, it helps them. It organizes things for them a little bit. Yeah, I think that given it in the right way, with proper information and with them taking into account the narcissistic person's uh, internal experiences, and an understanding of the interaction between the internal and external experience and the external uh, appearance uh, can be quite helpful for a narcissistic person. 
I was talking to a teenager a couple of weeks ago about this, and they used the phrase, oh, my friend is such a narcissist. I said, what do you mean by that? And it came out that they mean, well, they're, they're selfish. They're just totally involved with themselves. And it was really more of a put-down than a descriptive. And I think that's part of the problems that psychiatry has fallen into as well. And what you're talking about is really expanding it and using the term properly. Yes. And to, to put an understanding to uh, ask the question, why, what is the, the reason, where is the attention uh, of the, the self-preoccupied narcissist and why? Very interesting. Elsa Ronningstam is an associate clinical professor at Harvard Medical School, and she's also a psychologist at McLean Hospital. We've been talking about the notion of the narcissistic personality disorder, how it's evolving, how our understanding is changing. This has been very, very interesting. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Have a good day.